Welcome to episode 88 of the Inspiration to Grow podcast, the show to follow for optimizing your health through mindset, nutrition, and exercise. I like to refer to it as the trifecta of wellness. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss a beat. In today's episode, I am talking with Christina Hathaway, founder of a program called The Mindset of Matter, which she created to not only help people achieve their health and fitness goals, but also work through the mindset issues and unwanted behaviors that consistently stand in their way. So let me preface this awesome interview with an apology for the initial technical issues we were experiencing. For this reason, I will let Christina introduce herself and talk about her backstory. Then I will read the answer she gave to the second question. And after that, thank goodness, the interview runs very smoothly. Welcome back to the Inspiration to Grow podcast. In today's episode, I have invited a very special guest. Her name is Christina Hathaway to join the conversation. And I'll let Christina tell you more about herself in a minute. I would just like to welcome you to the show, Christina, and I'm thrilled to have connected with you and that you have time to share your message with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to your listeners. Thank you. Well, you have a very impressive background. Can you tell us more about going from a young dancer to becoming a mindset, health, and fitness coach. Yes, absolutely. So I, you know, when I was very young, I started dancing and I used dance as more of an emotional outlet. And, you know, thankfully I was good at it. And so I began to compete. Um, and in that competitive world, obviously body image, um, eating disorders, your diet, it's very, they're very fixated on looking a certain way. And so as a young child, I became very aware that my body needed to not only look, but perform in a certain way so that I could be considered good at my craft. And so I danced all the way up until college. Uh, and during that time, you know, struggled with, with my own body image issues. I tried variety of things I would be you know the one buying the magazines trying the different workouts trying different diets my mom and my dance teachers were actually really great because they would if they caught me and that's the the thing if they caught me trying to diet or change my body they would intervene Mm -hmm. but sometimes it I could just preface it as I'm just working out right I'm doing this to be healthy Mm -hmm. and so I experienced many of my friends, many of my teammates, you know, struggle with their own body image and, and have disordered eating. And so I, I danced and cheered through college. After college, I became a fitness instructor, started teaching classes, but also my bachelor's is in psychology. And I decided that I wanted to pursue graduate level education, went and received my master's degree in marriage and family therapy. And my professor in my program was actually an eating disorder specialist. And I thought, wow, I didn't even consider that to be something that I would like to work in. 
but because of my experience with dance, I thought, this is great. This is where I need to be. I understand it. Um, but the problem was, is, you know, I, I hadn't done the work on myself really and, and educated myself enough to really, you know, provide, you know, I had the education in regards to psychology, but not necessarily regards to the, the health and wellness side of it. And so I went and I, I worked in a, my story kind of flip-flops. So I, I started an eating disorder facility. I ran an intensive outpatient program. I assisted in an intensive outpatient program. Then I moved into more trauma work. Uh, I worked with the Crimes Against Children's Unit of the Phoenix Police Department um, and child. That burnt me out completely. And so I went back to eating disorders and that's when I ran my own program. And the interesting thing was at the same time, I was teaching the fitness classes. I decided to get my certifications in personal training and nutrition coaching just to really understand, you know, I wanted to get a better grasp on what the dietitians were speaking about and understand how movement plays a part in this. And obviously with someone who is clinical that has an eating disorder, we're not giving them diet plans. We're not giving them workout programs, but what was what stood out to me was the women in my fitness classes had very similar experiences with their bodies and food that the clients that I had in my program did. They just weren't as intense, right? And it didn't have as much of an impact on their lives, but it still caused them stress and there was nowhere for them to go. And so my story has a lot of twists and turns, but the outcome was creating the mindset of matter. My second question to Christina went like this. What is it about coaching that you love the most? And I'm going to read her answer due to the poor audio quality we had during the first few minutes of our interview. And here's what she had to say about that question. I love this question because people often ask me why I don't continue therapy. But I love coaching so much because it's as if I'm the girlfriend that just knows. And I get to have that relationship with my clients where we can go out for lunch, for example. It's not as stringent and clinical as it was practicing as a therapist. Now, obviously, there are reasons for that. As a practicing clinician, you have to have boundaries, but in coaching, I can meet with them when I'm in their area and I can say, okay, this is how we're going to navigate X, Y, and Z. I don't see a lot of clients in person, but when I'm in their city, it's nice to be able to have that relationship with them. Coaching is also a natural way for me to use my skills through all the training I've done. Coaching allows me to share my two loves, fitness and nutrition, while being a social servant and a caregiver at the same time. I love guiding my clients to find their strength internally and externally, finding the best version of themselves. Now, please continue listening to Christina in the second part, the juiciest part of our chat for sure. So Christina, this is a question that I ask all of my guests. What is one thing about the health and wellness industry that not many people know about? Yeah, I really like this question because, you know, 
in the health and wellness industry, I think the one thing that they try to do is force behavioral change without getting to the root cause of the behavior. And so this, you know, multi-billion dollar industry is promoting, you know, just change what you're doing and you'll achieve your goals. However, for a good majority of people who struggle with their weight, uh, who struggle with, you know, confidence, body image, whatever that is, it's not the behavior that is the issue. It's what's underneath that. And so if I'm someone who really struggles with managing my emotion, or if I just do not have the emotional intelligence of a mature adult, I've most likely reached for an, um, what we call a maladaptive coping skill, a coping skill that doesn't serve us. And for a lot of people, especially my clientele, that is food. And so their inability to feel, recognize emotion or express emotion effectively, they tend to numb that, that the emotional expression through food. And so if I simply try to change the behavior of what I'm eating, but I'm not getting to that root cause of, you know, learning how to feel, learning what feelings or emotions actually feel like in my body, then yes, I might have changed for a short amount of time, but I'm just going to come back to that maladaptive coping skill. On the other side of this too, is if I'm someone who has a self-hate relationship with my body or, or my identity in general, I'm going to treat my body accordingly. I'm going to punish it and I'm going to restrict it. I'm going to put, you know, supplements and juices and all of this crap in it in hopes to make it become this thing that I want it to become. However, that is, you know, when we're treating our bodies from a self-hate place and a punishment place, eventually we're going to get tired of treating ourselves that way. And we're going to go to the opposite end of the spectrum. And then lastly, if we're engaging, if we have struggles with like cognitive distortions, things like perfectionistic thinking, all or nothing thinking is a big one in this community, shooting, um, wearing stress as a badge of honor, having you know, relaxation, remorse, all of these things, if we don't get to the core of that and begin to reframe these cognitive distortions and then recreate them in ways that are healthy, the behavior change doesn't mean anything. This is why this industry is ongoing. This is why it's, you know, making a ton of money. <laughs> um, and so again, at the Mindset of Matter, our, our, our motto is what you say in the mind, you see in the mirror, because what I could be at a goal weight, I could be wearing the size of pants I want, but if I hate myself, I'm gonna look in that mirror and think I look disgusting. And so that is what the industry is not focusing on. And that is why this company, my company was created so that we give mostly women an opportunity to work on that root cause. Oh, fantastic. I, I just, such, a powerful thing you say it's not just on a behavioral level it's you have to go to the root cause right to mm -hmm. make sustainable changes right and, correct and, and it's, it's interesting because i actually have a phd that i work with who has a phd in behavior change mm. she's gone she's gone through a variety of programs she's even gone through um oa or overeating anonymous mm -hmm. and not until this program has she found what she was looking for 
because we are focusing on feeling, feeling her emotions, which is something she's never been able to do. She didn't know how to do it. She was a caretaker most of her life. And so her emotions always went on the back burner. Everyone else's emotions were more important than hers. And not until this program has she been able to see, to, to heal and, and feel relief and be around foods and know she doesn't need them. Obviously, if she's not hungry. <laughs> amazing, amazing, and and so the website that Christina is mentioning here is the Mindset of Matter. We're going to refer to it, and I will definitely put it in the show notes. But um, it's it's you should really look up Christina, and and we're going to hear more of her goodness now because she has a lot to say about this, and in particular mm -hmm. the mindset piece of it, which is what this show is all about, leads me to my next question. You truly combine the best of all three worlds, mindset, nutrition, and fitness. Can you share with us some common mindset shifts women have to make in order to become a better version of themselves? Absolutely. The program itself is structured around what I'm about to say. And, and really the first thing is awareness. You know, when we're when we have these behaviors or uh, thought patterns and reactions to those patterns, uh, I like to call that autopilot. We're just kind of on autopilot and we just think this is what we do. You know, when I'm had a, you know, when I get home from work, I just walk to the pantry and I eat a bunch of snacks. That's my autopilot. And so by becoming aware of our behavior, not only from the perspective of what we're doing, but why, like, where did this come from? And so uh, the first portion of our program includes awareness building. We have assignments around your family's relationship with food, your rules around your body, food, fitness, how entering into high school and then adulthood affected your relationship with your body and food. How did things like social media affect your relationship with body and food? Then we go into the awareness building around, okay, now what do I do? Or what are my thoughts around emotions? What is it that I do when I'm feeling X, Y, and Z? Then we go into, okay, I have this awareness from my body that I'm feeling something. What is the distortion connected with that? And so it's this kind of building, it's a, they're building blocks of where did it come from? How does it manifest itself into my life today? And then, you know, creating this kind of mindful awareness around what I do. Then from there, now that we have the knowledge and we have that mindful awareness, we can begin to recognize it in the moment and utilize other forms of either reframing or one thing I talk about a lot is riding the wave of emotions. I tell my clients every emotion has a beginning, a middle, and end. It's that middle that we're afraid of. But when you actually sit with an emotion and you allow it to naturally process in the body, it's not as scary as we think it's going to be. And or if you, the more that you do it, the more that you are able to get through it a little bit quicker, right? Um, other things in that moment is reframing through education. I think education is a big part of this. Uh, when we may have someone who fears 
that they eat carbs, they're going to get fat. Obviously, we educate the client as well. So then when they have that distorted thought, they can use the education to reframe for better outcomes. And I tell my clients this, it's not the automatic thought. The automatic thought is going to be there. It's what you do with it that makes the difference. And eventually, the more that you reframe and you recreate these patterns in your brain, which is the idea of neuroplasticity, you, your automatic thoughts become quieter, those, those, those self-defeating automatic thoughts. And the, you know, purposeful or, or healthier thoughts, if you will, become louder. And so those are, that's kind of the way that we work. So we go through awareness, then we go through skill building, then we put it all together while also giving each woman and everything is custom. I work with men as well, uh, but majority of my clientele is women, uh, giving them custom health and wellness habits that then makes sense for what they're learning. So rather than doing a restrictive diet when I'm trying to work on their mindset shift, we're saying, okay, let's, let's reduce the amount of processed foods you're eating in general. We're not, not eating processed foods, we're just reducing them to see how your body feels. And so that is the, the shifts that my clients will make on top of the behavioral changes that they can make each day. Mm. Fantastic. I mean, it sounds like you start and it's almost like building a house. You create that solid foundation with the awareness piece, which is undoubtedly a very, very important, crucial piece of kind of, um, well, creating the changes that people want to make in their healthy living, in their getting fitter, um, you know, just in their eating patterns, as you mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. What are the most common excuses people use when it comes to leading a healthier life and getting fit or starting to work out? Uh, so I'd say this is actually a great question. Uh, I should do a TikTok on it. Um, so oh, you did? I, oh, okay. No, no, I should. I haven't done one yet. <laughs> okay. I would say, number one, I'm too busy. I don't have time. So there's this misconception that there's a right time to start changing your life. <laughs> and I see it in that way because it's kind of silly if, if, you, if you think about it. Like, there mm -hmm. is no right time for this. The problem is, is that the industry has said, no, in order to lose weight, you need to eat this meal plan and work out this many times. But if you're a mother, a working mom that has you know, three kids, a husband, a home, a job, her friends, her family, her siblings, this you know, non-custom you know, uh, cookie cutter meal plan and workout plan is not, it's not gonna fit. It's not gonna be the right time for that. However, when you work with a program like us, where we say, we meet you where you're at, we will show you that doing 15 minutes of movement and having a 4,000 know, step goal, 4,000 count step goal, and prioritizing a protein at each meal, because that's what you can do at minimum right now, that is where we start. We say, what, I mean, this is my favorite question to ask clients is, 
you did not hire me to be your coach on your best week. You can Google what to do on your best week. You hired me to be your coach on your worst week. So I want you to think of what your worst week entails. Then I want you to answer the following questions. What amount of movement can you do at a minimum on your worst week? What is what does nutrition look like at a minimum on your worst week? And we start there. We started what I call finding your floor. And so that is one of the major um, excuses, if you will, that people bring in. Uh, the other one is obviously that feeling of failure of having tried such restrictive programs. So very similar to the first, but if I'm restricting carbs, if I'm, you know, restricting, you know, high fat diet, whatever it is, uh, sugar, dairy, gluten. Now, again, if there's a medical reason for that, that's a different conversation. But if I'm restricting these foods, because that's what society tells me is going to help me lose weight. If I'm the average human, I have retirement parties, I have birthday parties, anniversaries, I have that rep coming into my work to you know, sell me something and they bring me lunch that includes cookies. I'm going to, at some point, go against my diet, right? And if I already have this kind of self-defeating belief that I'm never gonna be able to do it, that, I'm fail that I've failed, then that is just contributing and validating that self-defeating belief, right? Mm -hmm. And so this sense of, I, I can't do it, I've tried many times, I continue to fail, um, dieting doesn't work for me, any sort of, you know, add, you know, paraphrase that, that those sentences, that is another one. Um, and then again, that all or nothing thinking is one of the main contributors to what, you know, excuses. And, and when you say excuses, it's more of a, be, uh, a behavior type. Um, and, and obviously all or nothing thinking is a, a distortion, but, you know, going all in too soon, doing all the shit and, you know, burning out three weeks later, because again, life gets in the way, feeling like a failure, eating your feelings, gaining more weight, and then repeating it is another reason yeah. people tend to come to me. Yeah, no, you've, you've touched on many of the common excuses people allow themselves to believe and deter them from that healthier lifestyle, that fit lifestyle that they truly desire, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Many people think just by eating less that they're eating better. Would you mm -hmm. tell someone, what, so what would you tell someone who, who believes this myth? So technically, the law of thermodynamics is eat less than you are moving. However, there's a few things I want to say on this, and they, they may sound counter to each other, but I'll hopefully explain it well. We have a basal metabolic rate, a resting metabolic rate, that is the amount of calories that we need in order to keep our system going, our brain, our organs, our blood pumping. And for most women, uh, their, their basal metabolic rate is fairly high, well, higher than we uh, think it is. It's probably between anywhere above 13, 14, 1500 calories, depending on your body type. The larger body type, 
the higher your basal metabolic rate. The more muscular body type, the higher basal metabolic rate. If you're shorter, your basal, your basal metabolic rate will be lower. However, it's not going to be this 1,200 calorie nonsense that we see out there. And so we need to eat above that basal metabolic rate at all time. Because what happens is our bodies are very adaptive. They will say, okay, you're not feeding me enough to maintain myself at rest. I'm going to slow down these systems that I don't need right now. So like, it doesn't need to grow your hair. It doesn't need to resurface your skin, the cells of your skin, right? It doesn't need to do these things. It's not important. What's important is maintaining the brain, maintaining the heart, right? And so your body at rest, you burn less at rest when you don't feed your body enough to maintain its, basically we'll call it homeostasis. And so I'll see people or hear people that say, I'm only eating 1200 calories, but they're five, seven and 200 pounds. That person's basal metabolic rate is probably, and this is just off the top of my head, 1700 calories, right? Mm. And so then on top of that, we have to, because that is just what your body burns without movement or digestion, right? So then we have to take into account how much you're moving on a non-planned exercise basis, a planned exercise basis, and how what we call the thermic effect of food. And so those are the four ways we burn energy at rest, the thermic effect of food or digestion of food, non-exercise activity and exercise activity. So we add those all together and based on, you know, whether you want to do a slow deficit or a slow you know, weight loss or a more intensive, we would subtract anywhere from 250 to 750 calories from that total energy expenditure. And so for some people, they could be eating 1800 calories and losing one pound of weight per week if they do it correctly. And so that is my first counter to just eat less. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I have a, a good chunk of clients who you know, we think about aging as aging, you know, we, our metabolism slows down. I don't believe that is true. Well, it's true to, from a behavioral perspective or a lifestyle perspective. When we have more lean body mass on our bodies and go through things like menopause and go and age, when we have more lean body mass, our metabolism has to stay high because it costs a lot of energy to maintain muscle. Your brain is the first, right? Your brain takes a lot of the energy, energy being the food you eat, the calories you consume, takes a lot. And then muscle is second. And so it's not the aging process per se, it's the not prioritizing protein. It's the not strength training. It's the being more sedentary, you know, not moving a lot, not filling your body with those nutrient-dense foods that then causes a lot of these things. Now, that's not to say someone with a hormonal structure that maybe, you know, they have, you know, low testosterone or estrogen, DHEA, whatever that is, that can also, you know, contribute to that. But at the end of the day, the end of the day, if you have more lean body mass, you can, I, I say it in this way, again, this is, I, 
I've read a lot, a lot of research on it, but I'm just going to use this word. You can hack the system. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have to eat more and, and focus on that prioritizing protein and that strength training, get that lean body mass up, get your metabolism as high as you can possibly get it. And you'll, you'll see changes in your body. Then if you want to go into a deficit, you can, but it's going to be a lot harder for you to do if you're working from this kind of uh, low catab or, yeah, catabolic state, like where your muscle has been pared down, you don't have a lot of lean muscle mass, it's going to be a lot harder for you to lose than if you do it the opposite way. Christina, thank you so much for that answer. I know my listeners and I appreciate hearing what you've just said. I love those two points and you explained them so well, so well. I just, I hope everyone takes that to heart, right? <laughs> um, Me too. <laughs> I found a quote of yours that went like this, changing our body does not improve our relationship with our body. Silencing your inner critic trusting your biological and physical body and repairing your relationship with food is the only way to accomplish this. How could someone start to repair their relationship with food? Yes. And so this comes back to kind of that awareness, right? And, and not even what we've already discussed, but I like to ask people like, are, do you feel that you're doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result? And 10 out of 10 people that come on a call, a clarity call with me will say yes. And, and I'll say to them, I say, okay, what do you, you know, why do you think this is? And initially it will be, uh, I don't have enough motivation or I'm not disciplined enough and all this bullshit, blah, blah. And I say, well, could it be that you, your relationship with food and your body is actually the reason why you tend to give up easier or lack motivation or whatever it is. And for some of them, they're like, oh my goodness, it's this aha moment. For others, they know it, but they're not really, they weren't ready to accept it until I confront them with it. And so it's that awareness, again, of this is, this is an issue for me. I'm using food as a coping skill. And that is why I, even if I get to a goal weight, so let's talk about that in this quote. What I mean here is I can, if I am just a normal coach and I get someone to their goal weight and I don't touch any of the mindset piece, that person will feel really you know, they may be really proud of themselves for getting to the goal weight, but if they've never learned to feel proud and sit with their pride, they may turn to food to congratulate themselves, right? Yeah. Or the next time a big stressful event happens, because they haven't helped them with their emotional management, they may turn to food to cope again. Or even worse, they get to their goal weight, and I've seen this many times, and it's just not enough. I want more. I want more. I want more. Now we're getting into the, the, that fine line between disordered eating and eating disorder, right? Mm -hmm. And so by being able to begin to 
change their relationship again with food with the awareness piece that's number one and their body right the entire time that we're working with someone we are asking them like what do you appreciate about your body today in the state that it's in today because we don't realize like our bodies are very powerful things i always think of new moms who have been told to get rid of the baby weight which is bullshit get rid of the baby weight you know these doctors they they give them what six to eight weeks and then they're cleared they're not cleared their bodies are still going through all of this crazy stuff and so they'll come to me i need to lose the baby pooch and this and i say no no no, no. you don't need to do anything right now what you need to do is start appreciating this body that gave you this child right and so throughout the entire process we are not only educating them on what is your body providing you today that you could be thankful for. So we're starting to turn towards this idea that I can appreciate my body no matter what it looks like, no matter you know what it's doing for me or not doing for me. And then as they begin to go through that process of changing their beliefs and their brains, the outcome, the end result doesn't have that much weight, no pun intended, we connected to it. It mm -hmm. almost becomes, you know what? I don't need to hit that number anymore. Mm -hmm. I feel really good in myself. I feel strong. That's another thing we do is we focus on data that has nothing to do with the scale. We teach people how to re recreate their relationship with the scale. We show them how to you know, look at progress in a variety of ways. And so again, to answer your question, it's the awareness around what we're using food as or for. Also, one thing I didn't mention is how did that serve you? I think that's important for people to know. How has food protected me, kept me safe in my life? I will actually have clients write a goodbye, a thank you goodbye letter to food. Um, obviously, they didn't have to eat food, but their emotional relationship with food saying thank you when I was younger and my parents were always fighting, I could turn to you and sit in the pantry and eat and feel comforted when my parents should have been doing that. That is huge for them. And then they say, I'm an adult now and I can now reparent myself. And so that's that side. And then again, the other side is finding gratitude, grace and compassion towards the body now in the state it's in when you start with me rather than trying to find it in a number or, or as in the quote, it says, you know, approving a look. So powerful. So powerful. Wow. You know, this next question is related, but slightly different. Uh, our mindset regarding food goes back to our younger years as a child. And you've already alluded to that. Mm -hmm. Can you go through some fixed beliefs on eating and food to help us gain a growth mindset? Now, and using me as an example, I was always told as a child, you're not leaving the table until you finished what's on your plate. And since then, I've learned that I can stop eating when I'm full. And it's not shameful to leave some food on the plate. But it took me a long time to flip the script on that and, and ditch mm -hmm. those feelings, right? Yeah. Uh, and I can imagine there are, there are some other fixed beliefs that people might have. But can you maybe give us one or two examples? Absolutely. 
So yours is very common. You know, we, we saw this as kids, eat everything on your plate, even if it's over your biological cues, right? And, mm-hmm. and so that idea is like, I have to eat everything on my plate. And that also can equate to, I have to eat it if it's in front of me, right? So now they can manifest into not just what's on my plate, but if there's food in front of me, I have to eat it. Um, one of the other ones that I noticed is for families that struggled with feeding their children or had very rigid, uh, rigid rules around food. So I always think of like, you remember that, that friend's house, so they had all the snacks and you were like, oh, I wish my family had all the snacks, but my yeah. family, my family was f- pretty balanced, but say my family didn't have the snacks or couldn't afford the food. There's this scarcity mindset. That's another one that I see where if it's in front of me, I'm going to eat all of it because I don't know when I'm going to get this thing again or this meal again, right? Usually it starts with that protective measure, which is innate in us to say, eat as much as we can right now, store it because I don't know when I'm getting it again. And that is, you know, we can look at our ancestors in prehistoric days. That was a survival skill, right? And so I would say the... Um, scarcity mindset, the eat everything, you're not getting off this table until you eat everything on your plate. Um, But also, we have to realize like our kids are listening and watching us. And so if we're a mom who has to eat her special food, what are we teaching that child as well, right? Or making comments about the body, what to eat, what not to eat, uh, that obviously can manifest into distortions later on. And so just to give you some, uh, like how we would approach someone with like the scarcity mindset is one of my favorite things to tell my clients is, and I work with very high achieving women and we work with women in, in you, know, C, you know, C-level positions, judges, lawyers, surgeons, I mean, very high level women. And so I love to say to them, I say, look, you can have that food whenever you want. You can have that food whenever you want. You have the means to have it. You can literally have it delivered to your door. And so just because it's in front of you does not mean you need to eat it, right? You have the ability and the means to have it whenever you want. And even just telling them that and giving them permission, like if you want to have that thing tomorrow and you've had a, you've balanced your day in a way that makes you feel good physically and you say, okay, really protein and fiber heavy at the beginning of my day. I'm going to have that cinnamon roll from Cinnabon for dinner or lunch. Have it, right? Sit with it. We teach them how to eat it mindfully, but we're intending on having it rather than working from what we talked about earlier, the autopilot. And just by giving them permission, it that one kind of aha, like I can't have this whenever I want. They're reparenting themselves to say this, you know, this is not scarce. I will provide for you. You can have the things. And this type of reframing is how we would would manage this. But Mm -hmm. yes, a lot of our behaviors do stem from our parent figures and not just around food, but as you've heard me say, around emotional expression or lack thereof. Right, right, right. So... This brings me to my second last question. And I have been following Christina now on several social media sites. And 
I have to say that I really love and appreciate your tell it like it is personality without all the fluff. Because when we get right down to it, we don't need to sugarcoat any of this, right? If people want to make change, then they've got to face it head on. Can we go through a quick round of what I want to call Christina comebacks when people say the following things? Absolutely. Are you ready? So, yes. So, if someone said to you, I am too addicted to carbs, treats, and sugary foods, so I'll never be able to lose weight, what would you say? I would say you're not addicted to foods, you're addicted to not feeling. <laughs> and that is, again, like we, this is the thing, is no one gets addicted to broccoli, right? Like, <laughs> right? Yeah, right, right. And you're not addicted to potatoes, you're addicted to, you know, donuts. You know, and so you're, there's a few things I would say to that. Like, you're, you're not addicted to carbs because there's carbs you don't eat. You're not addicted to sugars because there's sugars you don't eat, right? You're addicted to that dopamine hit that you're unable to provide yourself through your own means. And so we can sit here all day and say you're addicted, you're addicted, you're addicted. But again, that's just the cover up to the root cause of what we're doing. You on your own have a maladaptive relationship with emotions or what stress, which again, emotions, and you're turning to these specific foods, which is a part of uh, the definition of emotional eating, specific foods to comfort you, to get that dopamine hit. And processed foods are really good at this. They are made in a way to, they're, they're fast burning, right? They give you that sugar rush and your blood pressure, I'm sorry, blood sugar goes up, it stays there for a second, and then boom, we're back down to where we were again. They are designed to do that. And so I would tell a client, you're not addicted to the food, you're addicted to the rush. And so we need to figure out how to you know, give you the skills to get that dopamine hit in ways that are healthier for you, and so that you feel in control of these foods. And so, uh, I actually have clients do this um, challenge where I say, okay, you think you're addicted to sugar? I want you to have a donut every single day, even if we like cut it in half, okay? So we're gonna have a donut every day. We're gonna have half after lunch. We're gonna have half after dinner. You're gonna have some uh, guidelines around eating this donut. I say no seat, no treat. You're gonna sit your ass down. You're gonna eat that donut without distraction. And I want you to, for every bite, just hold on to it for an additional three to five seconds in your mouth. Really pay attention to the feeling, the texture, the tastes, and then eat that donut. You're gonna do the same thing at dinner. You're gonna do that for 30 days. Guess how many people finish that challenge? I have no idea. Not a lot. They're like, I'm, I'm kind of over it. I'm like, exactly. Amazing. We allow them to have it. Yeah. Oh, and they, they kind of get over it. They're like, yeah. eh, it's not great anymore. So were you addicted, right? Or were you using it in a way that was not, you know, it was maladaptive? Amazing, amazing. That was very, very powerful. What, what would you say to someone who says, and I, I hear this quite a lot, eating healthy mm -hmm. 
and getting fit are just too expensive? I love this question. <laughs> so now I am, I've worked in social services. I'm very aware that there are people who cannot afford food. And so for that person, I would give them this. Uh, for that person, it's going to be a little bit harder. But for your everyday woman who thinks they need to eat organically and buy all these programs and do all this shit, I say, can you go to the Dollar Tree? I want you to pick up frozen vegetables, rice, beans, um, blah, 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 oats. Okay, so that's where we're gonna get from the Dollar Tree because they have like a frozen food section. Then you're gonna go to the grocery store. You're gonna pick up some ground beef. You're going to pick up some uh, potatoes. You're going to pick up some seasonal fruits. And I can guarantee you that those, this, which basically you've made breakfast, lunch, dinner, right? Mm -hmm. That those specific foods you can make, you can you know, obviously make multiple meals out of and I'm missing a few things, but make multiple meals out of, you will feel fuller. If I'm eating less, guess what? I'm not eating, I'm not taking away from my batch of groceries, right? So if I'm, if I'm eating whole, these whole foods that are cost efficient, I mean, th those types of things, especially if you buy them in bulk, you can get a good deal on, you know, rice, oats, frozen veggies. They're fiber rich. They're protein rich, so I'm fuller longer. So I'm eating less, I'm paying less. And I am, you know, if in this case, if this person wants weight loss, I'm losing weight. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of understanding like what to get, but that's my other favorite thing is like, you're eating less, you're spending less, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's a win-win. Yeah, and then regards to workouts, you don't need to do anything if you, follow that little mill guide, right? Uh, there's other things, uh, I can't think of the top of my head, but there's the other very cost-effective foods that I put in there. Um, and walk every day, you will be healthier. Great, great. No, oh, excellent, excellent answer. Um, well, the next one is, I just don't have the motivation. Mm -hmm. Also a good one. All right. So I have a saying for this. Motivation isn't going to be there. What's going to be there is the fact that staying the same is emotionally, physically, and cognitively draining so much so that you have no choice but to change. That's when you make the change. You put your feet on the ground, you get up and go. Then you start seeing results. The results are, again, always on the scale. There are a variety of different things. Once you see the results, that's where motivation comes in. Because you're like, oh, this is working. It's not motivation. It's the, like, you have no choice but to change. And so you start. And when people hear that, they're like, holy shit, you're right. The motivation to eat healthy and exercise for most people is not going to be there. But to play with their children, to be alive in 10 years, to have better health workers on their physical, to not, you know, to get out of the pre-diabetic you know, range of their blood sugars, that is where a change comes from. Right. That strong why 
why why do you want that change right no I agree Mm -hmm. and I I can barely say the word motivation because it just uh well I can't say it doesn't exist because it, it it does exist just like you said you have to feel the pain so strongly that you want to make the change and then you take those small steps that you've been mentioning throughout the podcast and then then you get this boost and that's what you can call motivation then right mm-hmm. to keep going to refine uh-huh. you know and and just push yourself even more right i love it you know, as you were talking as something came up it's it may not even be mo- motivation lisa it just maybe your lifestyle is changing mm, yeah yeah right we exactly think about that. exactly now I'm a huge advocate for strength training. It's helped me immensely. And I just wish that more women would embrace it. So uh, I guess as of a certain age, some women might say, I am simply too old to start strength training. Mm -hmm. What would your comeback be to that person? Well, number one, I'd have them follow Train with Joan. If you're not following her, she is, what, 75? And began her strength training program, I think it's been like six years. And you will see she has changed her physique completely. And she is able to move in and out of the different ranges of motion. Um, from a metabolic perspective, as I had mentioned, strength training is the best thing. There's so much research on how, I mean, strength training, especially for women, helps with bone density, obviously helps with posture. It helps with, uh, you know, like I had mentioned, increasing, I shouldn't say increasing, but your metabolism rises as you have more lean body mass. Um, and there's never a, and like we talked about, there's never a good or bad time to start. We just work with where you're at. If you are struggling with a range of motion or mobility issue, having the right coach to help you have a mobility program plus helping you work through that range of motion with support. Maybe we just start with body weight using a chair as a support. Then we you know, are building that muscle in those legs. So you are going to get stronger. So then you progress maybe to body weight without the chair. And then we progress to maybe some resistance bands. Then we progress to some, some dumbbells and so forth. Uh, you, I guarantee you there is a, how do I want to say this? It's not that you're too old to start. You, you, you need start. Like if you start now, depending on wherever you're at, your life, you're going to prolong your life. So you have no choice but to start, right? And so yeah, yeah, yeah. I I want to say it in a different way. When it said Christina come back, they just kind of pop off. But it's like you you can choose not to start now and continue to seeing your body decay in a way that you don't want it to, or we can make this choice and start, like I said, from the bottom, start at your bottom and, and work your way up. And so I would say research strength training, Google if you must. Um, PubMed, there's many, many, you know, uh, websites out there that will show you all the research on the benefits of strength training, especially in women, especially women at a later stage in life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the last one is 
people often say, well, I, you know, there just aren't enough hours in the day to work out, to cook those healthy meals, to, you know, do all the things that would um, underline a healthy lifestyle. What would you say to that person? This is one of my favorites. And I'll ask them, I was like, you have 10 minutes a day that you're doing something you don't want to do that's not in alignment with this goal. And 10 out of 10 will say, yeah, I go on social media or I binge watch TV or I, whatever. And I'll say, okay, so can I have those 10 minutes a day? And they'll say, yes. I say, okay, in that 10 minutes, I'm going to have you do a, a workout. And the workout's going to be two movements. And those two movements will be a lower body, then an upper the next day, and then a core, and just 10 minutes a day. And so when we can say it doesn't have to be this elongated workout, then they realize, oh, because if I did 10 or 15 minutes a day, Lisa, are you there? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I was hearing some feedback. So if you break it down into small chunks, right? So they say it's 10 minutes a day for five days a week. That's 50 minutes, right? That's two 25 minute workouts that you've completed, yeah. right? Instead of doing it for 25 minutes, we're doing it for 10 minutes over the course of the week. And you can do that. I work with surgeons. I work with OBGYNs. Their, their schedules are nuts. I prescribe 10, 15 minute workouts. Then d- throughout their work day, I'm just trying to get them to move more. Mm-hmm. So it's parking further from the, the grocery store or like if they're in the hospital, taking the stairs instead of the elevator, you know, parking further away, whatever it is. Um, standing when they're doing their medical notes. Um, and then in regards to food, I actually just had this conversation with a client this morning. I am not opposed to finding what I call convenience foods. And yes, some of them have sodium in them and they're not as healthy as their whole version. But we will, we do suggest, you know, frozen vegetables. I, well, I will only buy frozen vegetables because again, I can keep them longer. Mm-hmm. Um, things that you can steam in the bag. Um, the pre-made meals that you see at your at your uh, grocery store, the ones that are in the deli, not necessarily the ones that are in the frozen food section, but even frozen foods. I love the company Real Good Foods. They have these chicken tenders that I make all my clients buy. The ingredients are great. There's no additives, no preservatives, no crazy artificial ingredients. You throw them in the air fryer and you have a side of rice and some steamable broccoli and you have a wonderful meal. And it took you five seconds. Having packets of tuna, packets of salmon, like finding things that that make your life easier. Mm -hmm. Um, And lastly, finding that time to just sit down and plan. You actually save time in your day when you plan your day ahead of time. Because now I don't have to think about it. Think about how many times you've been stressed and you're just like in the middle of your day, like shit, what am I gonna eat? Now we're sitting there for 30 minutes trying to figure out what we're trying to eat. Whereas if we would have just planned it and said, okay, this is what I'm gonna have. Even if it's, you know, ordering out to Chick-fil-A, getting some grilled chicken nuggets, a kale salad and a diet lemonade, you know you're gonna have that 
you put the order in, you go to your, do your job, you get your food, you sit down, you eat it. We're not even thinking about it. Now we've just saved time. And so there is time. It's just a matter of how you approach it. And it goes back to what I was saying. It's not a one, one size fits all. It's not at all that. It is custom to your life. And if you're not working with a program that customizes things to your circumstances, get out because it will, you'll fail, unfortunately. There, there'll be those outliers that don't, but for the majority, they're going to fail if it's not custom to their needs. I, I agree. I agree 100%. Uh, what is one takeaway, Christina, you'd like everyone to leave this talk with today? I, I know, I mean, there have been hundreds of golden nuggets throughout <laughs> the podcast, but if you wanted the, the listeners to take one thing away from this talk, what would it be? Get very real with yourself about what you're saying to yourself or not saying to yourself about your relationship with your body and food. If you can get very real with the fact that you hate, you're, you're coming from a place of self-hate when you are looking at your body and wanting to change it, then it's time to begin to change that relationship and that, and that mindset. If you are using food to cope, it's time to recognize that and change it. Once you do this, life will change for you. Your life will change. I've worked with women all over the world and their lives change. It's one of the greatest things as you asked about coaching. And again, remember this, what you say in your mind, you see in the mirror. And when I tell people that, they're like, holy shit, that is so true. And once you can get very real, that's when change happens. Discomfort is required for change. Discomfort creates change. You have to get uncomfortable with what you're doing in order to change. That is my takeaway. Brilliant, brilliant words. How can listeners connect with you, Christina, follow you and dive into your world, which I would highly recommend everyone does, by the way. But just tell us how they can uh, get, get more of Christina and, and find out more about you and what you're all about. Absolutely. So I think the, where you get the most chunks of the information is on my smaller Facebook group, Strong Her Metabolism and Mindset Reset. It's about a 300 woman group. A good chunk of those people are my clients. This is where I actually do free trainings uh, each week, except for today. <laughs> free trainings each week plus live Q and A's. Um, it is more for the woman who is looking to take that step further in their process, who may be even interested in coaching with us, but you don't have to coach with us to be in this group. It's for you to educate yourself, to learn. Everything is free. Uh, and so again, that's Strong Her Mindset and Metabolism Reset on Facebook. I'm also on Instagram at Fit Mrs. Hathaway. I'm on TikTok, which is another place I do what I call walk talks, where I do my daily walk. And I'll talk about a series of uh, just different, different topics. So this week are the worst 
recommendations for weight loss out there in the world. And so I just every day will release a new one. Uh, so that's at the Mindset of Matter on TikTok. You can find me at mindsetofmatter.com. That is our website. Um, and if you want to reach me directly, you can reach me at Christina at mindsetofmatter.com. Amazing. I will add all of those uh, into the show notes so everyone can have a look and uh, choose their point of contact with you. I would just like to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to share your powerful, helpful messages with my listeners, Christina. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honor to talk to. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you taking the time and, and I hope that this is helpful for your listeners. Oh, I'm sure. So friends, on behalf of Christina Hathaway and myself, we truly hope to have inspired you to grow. And in case you haven't heard it yet today, let me be the first to tell you, you're beautiful, capable and amazing. I, or we believe in you 100%. Now go out there and show the world what you are truly made of. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. Till next time.